Hello, I'm Simon Farrell-Green, and I'm the editor of Here magazine, and we're delighted to be bringing you this series of wonderful New Zealand houses, along with our friends at Altherm Window Systems. Over the next year, we'll be talking with top New Zealand architects about a recent design, learning how it came to be, and why the people who live in it love it so much. We'll have beautiful videos, lovely photographs, and some great yarns. But we're also going to feature a podcast with each project where I get to chat with the architect and hear the story behind the design. It's a chance for us to sit down at length and hear the full story. From the city to the country, from large and luxurious to small and clever, I hope you'll follow along with us as we explore these wonderful New Zealand houses. One of the best things about architecture in Aotearoa is the incredible variety and power of our landscape. From beaches to bush, from cliffs to mountains, we're pretty spoiled with dramatic sites on which to build. But the site of this house at Bannockburn in central Otago by architect Burgundy Cook is quite something else altogether. Sited on the client's vineyard amongst rocks left over from gold mining days a century and a half ago, it's almost a desert. It's closer to moonscape than gently rolling tussock. Burgundy's design here is tough and uncompromising, built from concrete and steel, and it creates a buffer against a climate that can be roasting hot or freezing cold depending on the season. And yet, despite its strength, it sits quietly in this landscape, very much a part of it, rather than standing out. And that is quite a tricky balancing act. Burgundy joins us from Barcelona, Spain. Hi, Burgundy. Hello, Simon. How are you? I'm good. Nice. And, and well, thanks for joining us. That's fine. A pleasure. Lovely to reconnect to my Kiwi side. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought actually maybe we should we should start with with how this project started. I mean, so you're in, you're in Spain now, but the house is in in central Otago. Do do you want to tell us a bit about sort of how that happened and, and, um, and why how you ended up designing it? Well, I guess I mean I was previously living in Queenstown, and so I had done a few projects there, and the connection came about actually through a mutual friend, well, an old connection, not a close friend, but somebody I knew from Dunedin days, actually, because I spent some time at Otago University. Um, And so I was still, no, I had moved to Barcelona um, by then, but I had another project. It's it's all quite ironic. I left the country and suddenly I had the most sort of work I'd had for some time. Um, So I had another project (laughs) happening. And the clients, these clients got in, in touch with me and I said, well, I'm going to be back in New Zealand over the summer, let's meet. Um, and they were looking, you know, they actually had approached somebody else, but the, they hadn't gelled with that, that architect and, you know, we just got along and they thought that um, I understood what they wanted to achieve. And, and we just, we began a conversation and then, you know, and then I did some initial ideas for them, and it, and it basically flowed on from that. So when you when you first, you know, you were there over the summer, mm-hmm. you went to see it. Just tell us a bit about how it presented and what your kind of reaction to it was, because I mean, it's 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 an extraordinary spot. It is extraordinary, and I think um, personally, um, it's it's a really intense place. You know, it has such extremes both in the summer and the winter. Um, and, you know, initially I 
found it really quite brutal. Um, it has having having the vineyard in the background softens it a little bit, but it's it's a really exposed site. I mean, the vistas up the Kaurau Gorge are really stunning, um, but you really have to think in terms of a resident, in terms of a home, how you're going to um, how you're going to buffer the, the the climate because you know those extremes are really tough to live in. But but so that's sort of that unravels a whole lot of ideas about how you create secondary exterior spaces and and how you protect yourself from the sun but gain it in the winter. So that you know it starts to set up a whole lot of ideas from which to work work from. Um, I think mm. did I visit it in the winter as well? Yeah, no, the summer site visit was the first, and then maybe in the winter I came back. Um, but I, I understand that, that climate from living in, um, in Queenstown anyway. So it's you know, something I'm really familiar with. Yeah. But, but I mean, you know, standing there in summer, I mean, it must have been, you know, baking hot. You've got, you know, yeah, brutal. There's, yeah. there's, sort of nowhere, there's sort of nowhere to go, is there? There's, not, there's nowhere to stand no, under you or can, anything like that. No, especially in the, in the tailings. Really, the only things, things that are growing currently, and, and I know that will change with the owners as they plan, as they plant, but, um, you know, there's a few wilding pines and, and rose hip. It's, um, and, and lichen that must be kind of hundreds of years old. You know, it is. It's really quite inhospitable. So you, you mentioned the tailings. What, mm-hmm. what is the, I'm a bit unclear, what is the actual history of it? Is it, is it a natural landscape, the sort of piles of rocks like that? Or is that, Not, is that well, sort of no, because they used, from, from my understanding, you know, they, they built um, the sluicing as they ran the water through to, to, to um, pan for gold. So basically that whole, a lot of that area has just been turned upside down. Um, but you can see some of the, and I'm not sure of the technical term, it's kind of like the riddles where, the, where they would have sluiced the water through to, um, to you know, it was all, it was all manual. Um, so you can actually see some of those lines. And we, we talked about how that could have been incorporated in the building. I mean, it's, it, it could have been quite fabulous in a way, it's sort of like some of the, like an archaeological dig, you know, coming and the lines coming through the building. Mm. Um, so you can still see that. And we were limited in terms of where we could build because the local, the historic, um, you know, historic places trust or it, it was a defined area where we couldn't build over, even though the owner's land, you know, extends a lot further, a lot closer to the river. So the, so these these tailings are actually considered important historically now. So they, you, you had to be quite careful about where you could put the ex- house. Exactly. That was that was mm. defined, and before we could even start building, it had to be signed off by the the local authority. I mean, that whole area. There's there's more substantial um, tailings and and places you can visit um, on um, along the road. So um, it's probably not one of the most outstanding archaeological mining um, vistas, but but it still obviously has some relevance. Mm-hmm. So you've got this quite defined spot. So then, mm-hmm. then how do you physically site the house? What, what are you What are you thinking about? You've got you know because well, you've got this incredible view and just talk yeah. us through that sort of process well, a bit because I think it's really important. 
Totally. I mean, what's interesting is that the the clients with their vineyard obviously had had a long, long period, much long period of time to consider all the options. And they actually had played with a few ideas as to where they would like to site their house. And and some of some of those um, one of one of the sightings was actually looking down over the vineyard, which was up on the hillside. So that, that was actually a long way from the river. And then I think, you know, the river sort of drew them down and they liked the idea of, of being quite private. You know, they weren't looking at the vineyard, but they had a connection to it. So there, there was the idea with the house that you could still, you know, you could still view parts of the vineyard from it, looking backwards as well. And so, so the idea really was to just um, sit it down into into the ground as much as possible. So it was so it was hidden in a sense as well, and and that that made sense not to build a two story. You know, it had to sit low. Um, I mean, almost you know buried would have been completely buried would have been amazing to do that but you know there were also other elements that we wanted a courtyard and so so that's kind of where we got to on that the courtyard's pretty key isn't it because that that Mm. actually gives you um some kind of sheltered living space but it also gives them a a, a sort of somewhere to actually be able to grow things a sort of a a a softer garden place yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, within this whole area, um, Cromwell especially it gets really knocked around by the winds in summer. I mean, I mean, I think that's really New Zealand all over. You know, we have the it's a really tricky climate. We have extremes. You know, it's it's not subtropical, and obviously down south, it's it's dry and it, um, and so. That made total sense. It will take some time for the courtyard to become this lush greenness which we'd which we'd envisaged, um, because it's also it's difficult to grow things. But the idea was that you could you could close off the front, you know, if it is windy, and and that space becomes a secondary exterior space and something that's quite nurtured as well. So you've got a contrast of of the um, of the exposed. Um, of, of the natural landscape, and you've also got um, something that is completely the antith- antithesis, green and lush, and um, a refuge. Tell us a bit about the sort of materials in it, because it's it's quite it's quite tough. <laughs> yeah, not brutal. It's not brutal. Well, but I it's guess quite it's. Yeah, well, you could say that. I mean, it's it's it it definitely. I mean, and. and for my experience, I've I've built predominantly in timber, which I think is the the natural way to go in New Zealand, just for all sorts of of reasons, you know. Um, but but with that with that environment, it was it's just it calls for something kind of that equates to it almost, like it it needs to be robust, it needs to be able to endure time. Um, and and the client was looking for something that didn't necessitate you know, hours of maintenance. You know, timber in that environment still you still need to look after it every few ne- few years. You know, the sun is tough, um, and so the idea is that we selected something that was um, that that would kind of be maintenance free um, and age with with time. We 
I mean, we did we did look at using round earth, and and it's great to see that that's becoming you know it's it's becoming more frequently used, um, and and that's great because then people are getting more skilled in it. But at that time, I wasn't confident to um, work with the local guy because we couldn't achieve some of the detailing that I was looking at. It, it, it became more complicated. And also the engineers, you know, that was still kind of a new language that needed um, some time to develop. Um, and the fact with the concrete is also, you know, we we did lots of tests. I probably would have chosen a different exterior finish, kind of more even rougher. But the clients wanted, we went for a smoother finish. What's great is, you know, the colouring was inspired. It's very subtle from from the natural landscape there. So the idea was that it was kind of almost pat running in parallel in terms of the palette. Um, so therefore, it just became part part of the landscape. And hopefully it will just over time just soften and, and even things can grow on it. That, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got this weathered steel, which is—I mean—that's yeah. almost kind of industrial, and that's kind of more of a mining kind of reference in a way. Ex- exactly. I mean, that—that's the reference. It's interesting because when you drive through the vineyard, there is actually an old um, chimney stack of a of a Chinese miner. So there's the—that's the last little piece. But I don't know if you've spent much time in that area. But you know, if you're driving from. Cromwell to Queenstown, you can still see those, um, you know, it's incredible thinking back to those people and what they endured for the price of gold and whether they had luck or whatever, but it's it would have been so tough. Um, and, and not only were you doing that, but you had to build your own house. So it was, you know, really raw, corrugate, stone, and that was it. You know, coming back up to your being in the freezing water all day to a little stack of stones and corrugate, it was incredible. So there was that tribute to, to the, um, to the history of the place. Um, I mean, the steel, the steel actually wasn't entirely. You know, I actually wanted it to kind of be darker, but these are all things that, you know, I think it will beautifully weather over time. Definitely. Mm. Tell us, I mean, how do you, we talked quite early on about, about making it, you know, making a home in the space, making a refuge. What are some of the mm-hmm. ways it, it does that? Well, I think in terms of, you know, you, you, you enter it and, and, and the scale, I mean, it's, it's not a, it's, you know, it's not a massive space and it has um, the ability to become more intimate by, um, by being able to be closed down by using, you know, sliding doors. And so when it's just the couple, because they are a family, but they've got, you know, fam- their, their children don't live with them um, anymore, there's the ability to, to, to close it down so it's a much smaller house. Um, I think although we've got... Um, l- they're still generous. I'm thinking of the ceiling heights. Um, you know, it doesn't feel enormously um, kind of spacious in terms of um, what's, you know, it's more, hmm, I guess, with the, also the, the use of the 
the concrete. We've used floors that have a little bit of texture. So there is an element of the, of the texture and we've used dark wood paneling that kind of brings, you know, the just softens, softens the space a lot. Um, the handmade nature of the floors, you know, it just takes the edge off, off the concrete, which is, although, you know, varies in, in the panelling, um, it's not austere. So the, the kind of combination of the different textures just makes it um, a, a softer space, I guess. That's really nice. And then how does it, So, the, but then you've got this kind of opening and closing thing, haven't you? It's got, mm-hmm. it's got that ability to close down and be intimate, but then these sort of, you know, these kind of quite, quite oversized, overscaled doors that just really pull back and sort of peel the whole front of it open if, if the weather's right to do that. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, I think the the big thing with this site is obviously it has these outrageous sort of views. You know, it, it's so unique in, in in that way. And that's, you know, that was an element and we didn't want to compromise. So so in those north-facing north, north facing spaces, um, we had to em- embrace that. So that it is, you know, it is, I guess, quite pavilion-like in that sense. Um, so the ma- that main um, dining kitchen area is very, very open. Um, you know, in the summer, those those doors can be pushed right back, and the extension of the living then goes beyond the, the covered exterior space. But I think with the living space on the other side, it's it's um, a little bit more intimate. You know, the scale's not huge. Um, and so with the fireplace and and their selected furniture, it becomes something that's that's much more intimate. So you've kind of got a duality happening between those two spaces. Um, I mean, typically they probably spend, you know, a lot of their time in, their, in, in the kitchen and around the bench unless they've got guests. Um, but, you know, it was one thing that we did at one point just to review sort of costs it was to sort of look at all those sizes again and review them as to if they were ex- excessive and trying to be really tight with that because i think it's being able to offer various scenarios in a home is really important and what's quite often curious is those smaller spaces are the spaces that people end up really drawn to you know and i, I don't know what it is maybe it's return to the womb or you know but we do H- need humans them. are rats this yeah is my maybe theory. we humans are. are rats we yes. spend a lot of our time in this the smallest house now the smallest room in our house which is sort of like two meters by three meters with a tv in it that's, that's exactly yeah so i mean that's that's something that i always um try to consider that there's there's you know there's there's dual spaces or there's multi spaces spaces that can be um used when you're more than a family when you've got extra guests but it's really important to have those spaces where you kind of feel um, a lot of comfort and 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 you like hideaway spaces whether it's a small study that becomes you know like a, a tv whatever space yeah it's it, it's super important because they don't do they live there full-time yet or is that sort of an, an aspiration or what and, and how does that sort of work um, they are not living there full time, but the, it was always envisaged that that would happen um, when they retire. 
So the client actually still, he works, but well, they both work between Dunedin and, and in the Cromwell area because he um, has patients, you know, and does locums um, in, in the area. So it works really well. So, you know, they have a very flexible um, time frame. So they might be there for two or three days in the week or, and a lot over summer, I think most weekends are spent there. I mean, they've also got the the vineyard as well, which um, they they don't run entirely by themselves, but are there often to oversee what's going on. So, so that was the that was the idea that eventually it is their main residence. Um, but they're really, you know, they've they've spent. I think all their holidays were spent in the Cromwell area with their kids. They had another a small little house over it, just on the other side. Of the river, so it, it, and you know it's they have a very strong affiliation with the, mm. cent, with Central Otago. Mm. And did I read somewhere that it also has to work as a as a bit of a tasting room for the vineyard? It's sort of got a, a slightly commercial aspect to it. Well, as well. conceptually, that was how um, the wine cave, which went through numerous <laughs> designs, and you know there was ideas of burying a container and. Um, you know, many, many ideas like, okay, how can we do it cheap? How can it be, you know, like, um, yeah, much discussion on that on that subject. But um, I think they've reneged on the commercial idea because perhaps they don't want people trapsing down and coming for to buy one bottle of wine. I don't know. It's a very small vineyard. And they most of the wine sold commercially to restaurants, um, but I guess if they've got you know um, a special client, then it's it's perfect. You know, it's sort of the idea was it's it's this raw subterranean space, um, and you know with their wonderful Pinot Noir on the on the wall. Um, so it was always meant to be sort of inspired by something cave-like subterranean with you know it's just got shingle on the floor it's very raw um and i think it works really well what was it like to build it, it the, the, all the rocks just make me nervous i just i just keep thinking about <laughs> how long it would have taken to dig the hole do you really want to know <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i mean i almost should ring the client up about that because um yeah, I mean, a lot of it's bedrock. Well, there's the loose tailings, which I think I gave you a little bit of insight to the problems that that unraveled um, because it sat basically on, on sluicings and tailings. It meant that actually there was no kind of bedrock to work with, which became a major issue um, with the foundation because basically there was nowhere really to to set down those footings so it meant going a lot well actually it, it required a whole different take on how the engineering was going to work um which was quite a feat in itself so unfortunately with engineering you don't really get to enjoy the, <laughs> the full mastery of of the on the job because actually it's envisaged like a horizontal kind of like raft of beams that are fixed back into the site where it was where it was stable so it's almost like a floating cantilever 
the Good house. Lord. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so, no, so, no. so you kind of you kind of look at it and think, oh, there's a bunch of rocks there. You know, that was mm-hmm. the old biblical thing, right? Build your house on yeah. rocks. But actually, exactly. it's not. It's not actually attached to them at all. No. No. Um, it was um, very unfortunate that the geotechnological or whatever um, the report was inaccurate. Um, you know, because uh, tests were done in the area to to you know find out what kind of depth we needed to build to the foundations to, and unfortunately, um, yeah, it wasn't very well done, which could have become quite a nasty litigious um, um, fight for the client, but they just, they had to weigh it up and, and just go, well, you know, is it going to be worth to try and try and sort this out? Um, so unfortunately, you know, that was not a pleasant, a pleasant surprise. Mm. And I, I think no. I, yeah. So, so these things are always, you know, building, building in New Zealand also on things like fault lines. And as we know, with, you know, building regs have changed a lot due to, to, um, earthquakes. It makes it such a difficult process, you know, when mm. there's, a lot of unknowns that you discover <laughs> after you've started building. So, so, um, and also, I guess with there was a lot of a lot of stone to like move around, and 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 that was done. The client really got involved with that aspect of how and where to place those larger rocks, which I think he did a fantastic job. You know, we always had the idea of of how you entered the site, you know, it was to be this journey down into the space because it's, you know, it's quite a lot lower than the vineyard above. So, the, you know, it was the idea of arrival and journey and that you wound your, wound down into the, to the, um, to the house. And so how all of those stones have been placed has been, um, it's wonderful because it is quite this moonscape. Large that, that's a word I actually had sort of in, in my notes was sort of it is like a moonscape and you're kind of mm. descending down into a sort of the sort of kind of cave mm. sort of nestled in, in, in the hill. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that because it's very evident you haven't visited the the site, but um I think it stands, you know, that's like an immediate response to it. Um um which is, you know, like it's not that's not a bad it's not a bad thing. It's quite a wonderful. It's a u- totally unique landscape, but you, it definitely required some thought as to how you then make a, a home and and that you're not sort of feeling totally exposed and um, uncomfortable. I think I think you've definitely done that. I think that's the the lovely thing about it is that balance. You know, it's it's tough, but it's not doesn't feel mm. egotistical it doesn't feel kind of you know it's a response rather than trying to overcome that mm-hmm. landscape it's just sort of sitting thank there you. you know quite thank beautifully so no it's um thank it's you like it's, it's a lovely house thank yeah. you burgundy thank you that's um oh, that's pleasure. fascinating and, and really enjoyable um oh great lovely, lovely to connect lovely to chat. And that was Burgundy Cook, a New Zealand architect based in Spain, telling us about a house she designed in a vineyard in central Otago. We'll see you next time.